Thank you so much for listening to Urbanistica podcast. I am Mustafa Sharif, an urban planner, and you're more than welcome to join my big journey of exploring the making of smarter and more livable cities. Please don't forget to follow Urbanistica on the different social media platforms. And also let's connect on LinkedIn. Big thanks to Urbanistica podcast partner, Avery. Avery is an international engineering and design company providing sustainable solutions in the fields of energy, industry, and infrastructure. Are you ready for a new episode? Let's go for it. Today we have a very interesting episode with a great storyteller. This episode is in collaboration with the Placemaking Europe. I have the pleasure to welcome Paivi to Urbanistica podcast. Hey and welcome. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah, sun is out and people are out and uh, I've been running a workshop this morning, which was very exciting. That's amazing. So where are you now? In which city? I'm in Helsinki right now. And just today I was in Lahti. Uh, which is about an hour hour away from Helsinki, but Helsinki is our sort of headquarters <laughs> at the moment. Yeah, that's awesome. And how is the city? Is it still under the lockdown or it's starts to open? It's slowly opening up and I, I can see that people are eager to get back to so-called normal. Um, there is definitely uh, kind of or at least I can see that people are more and more spending uh, time outdoors and enjoying the city. Of course, the weather weather helps with that a lot, but also the restrictions are being slowly lifted. But with with uh, events, for instance, it's it's not very easy at the moment yet. Yeah, I can imagine. And how is it going with the with the vaccine? They are going well. I have my first one, and the yeah, second one is in August. So yeah, it's kind of like a race uh, just with uh, talking uh, with colleagues from Estonia. They had their second one is just uh, very soon being given. So it's uh, it's like a little race <laughs> between countries. But uh, yeah, of course, we are very lucky that it's functioning well and, and going fast. And the first one is already injected. Yeah, that's uh, that's amazing, and I'm really happy to hear that. And I would love to hear more about you. You are our storyteller for this episode. How would you like to introduce yourself? Tell us about your passion. Yes, I would. I guess I'm I'm many things, wearing many hats, um, but all related to public space and urban urban environment and people. Um, I'm an urban designer, placemaker, and artist with a focus in public space so public art and design is is my thing and I guess that kind of outlines also what I'm passionate about so I'm passionate about uh, city life urban life cities in general um, I'm very interested in how people connect to places and how they sort of find their place in cities and of course uh, my passion is also to help with that process and see how 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 all citizens or uh, could could feel more welcome in cities and sort of be able to express themselves and also connect to other people in public space. 
So cities in general are super interesting sort of organisms with, with layers of time, layers of people, stories, and somehow a mystery, how, how cities actually function. So it's like a, uh, endless source of inspiration to me. Yeah, it's like the cities, the, the big love. Yes. <laughs> tell, tell us more about uh, where you grew up, uh, what did you study? Yes, um, I studied, uh, first of all, well, I, I grew up in Tapiola, Espoo, which is the neighboring city to Helsinki. And I grew up in the suburb, which is called sort of the garden city. So this area was planned to be very lush and sort of, um, how to say, human scale in a, in a nice way. And I have to say that I guess this, uh, where I grew up, gave me a lot of freedom to explore the, my surroundings safely and, and kind of go out and about with my friends from very young, on, uh, young age onwards. And but I have to say, once I had the chance to go to high school in, in Helsinki, I was very happy to come to the exciting big city every day and, and sort of uh, find my way there. Um, I was always interested in arts and that was my favorite subject at school. And I did the art high school also in Helsinki. But after my graduation from high school, I I uh, applied for the University of Arts in Helsinki to set design and I failed. I didn't get in, but I think that was a great, great sort of, a, how do you say, like a step to another direction. I moved, I moved to London, um, worked for a year there and then started to study design and public art in Chelsea College of Art and Design. And I have to say that was a, a kind of uh, almost coincidental choice for me to study this subject. But uh, looking back, it's kind of making sense. What an interesting journey. Let's talk art because it's, it's a very interesting topic, especially in our cities when it comes to like investment values and engagement of people. So like how can public art help to create better cities? Like, and, and does it really work? Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting question because it's really hard to sort of maybe a, an area which is not easy to study how people react uh, consciously or unconsciously to, to their surroundings and art included. But of course, art has a role in creating identity for a place and new experiences, maybe help with uh, kind of creating stories in place to people to root themselves or to attach themselves to so i do think there's uh, there's a lot of value in it if it's a investment or monetary value uh, i'm not sure but of course uh, the more people care about the surroundings or the their districts um, the more it's kind of a overall well-being is, is spread around and and I would advocate for specifically in public art more for the also the social process that public art or art can can sort of formulate so how people can be involved in the processes that's very important for me at least can you share with us uh, a 
a public art project with a participation method that you use? Yes, um, I've done different kinds of public art projects and um, most of them have been temporary, so more like processes or interventions. But I'm currently working on a public art project uh, in Vuosaari district, which is uh, Eastern Helsinki. I'm working with the local high school students to sort of examine and explore the public space, uh, look into it through their eyes and hear from them what's their experience in that public space and what kind of stories and, and uh, wordings, for instance, they come up with in the kind of daily surrounding. So that's a lot of, um, I would say it's not so programmed often, it's more like uh, workshops, but also in, in a sort of programmed workshops, I want to leave a lot of space for spontaneous comments and discussions. And that's actually the, I would say also in our work in, in the public art and urban design and placemaking uh, projects uh, is to get these spontaneous comments and different information from people that that really is an interesting part and and can't be programmed so firmly beforehand so i would say um, the participation methods are quite uh, flexible and and kind of based on dialogue but we, we are talking about now about like the participation in the beginning as a dialogue as they are the storytellers how is it when it comes to the to, to producing the, the the art you know like like the doing do you also engage people in this um, step of the project or no yes uh, depending on a project it's it's either the kind of the whole concept or the whole thematic is formulated with people but also it can be um, sort of designed into the process also in the making I do like to think that there, or I'm aware of the kind of uh, different roles we should uh, take, what's my role as an artist and facilitator and people participating, is it meaningful for them? So also they'll think of the ways people can participate and also create several ways to participate. So recognizing that not everyone wants to be very actively involved, for instance, on hands-on work, um, they are more the thinkers and, and kind of people who want to talk. So there's a lot of this fine, fine tuning and intuitive approach to see, recognize also these skill sets, how people can and want to participate. But the, but the making, of course, uh, the sort of hands-on work is important part in our work also because that really is something that break some of the unwritten rules of public space that you can actually build up a community hub together with us or an urban garden or or create some text related to the project in in public space so i want to also in our work to to break a bit these uh, rules and and kind of stretch them and give people the experience that they can uh, do these things also in in other areas of life or kind of as citizens to express themselves more in public space and that these rules that are 
somehow they formed during years and different uh, governing methods and bureaucracy that these we can challenge with our actions and also create new new rules so to say yeah yeah and how is it going now in helsinki like do you see the um, the, the municipality is more open for public art projects how how, how is the situation I would say yes, and I uh, I would say also as my I started in London, and that's already oh my god, 20 years ago. <laughs> uh, uh, I back then I was quite inspired how in the UK there was artists, for instance, employed to hospitals, or there was artists employed to work with architects, and and this kind of approach is has really been developing also here in Finland and Helsinki and the Nordics um, and that's maybe the most inspiring thing to me that working with different uh, professionals in different kind of com or coming uh, or combining different aspects in a sort of multidisciplinary approach is, is my cup of tea so to say and uh, I do think that uh, more and more different fields of, in, for instance, urban practice, they do recognize the role of art and design and, and do want to integrate that in, in uh, urban planning too. Is, is public art something that comes in the end of a project or urban development or is it something like fundamental within the process? Where, where, how powerful is public art within the process? I would like to think that, or I would say, I would claim that it should come early in the process that I do think that public art shouldn't be something that's applied in the end as a decoration and more more of a process that's integrated into the urban planning or aerial development or community building and there I think there's still work to do that we can gain more understanding and on that that what artists and designers can bring bring to this process um, because always the results are not visible and tangible and they're therefore not always so is to communicate but I do think that uh, public art should definitely be something more site specific maybe more uh, community specific and also more more often more like a process rather than a end result yeah yeah i also agree with you because like what i see recently at least here in sweden in, in some municipalities they save it to the end you know like they just have it as a decoration and then they they complain about uh, the quality i mean of course if you save like so so much budget like nothing and then you want something cool and interesting you will not get it for such money like because you you never you, you don't think about this in the beginning so of course the result will not be so good as you would love to exactly and then it becomes maybe like uh, also a little bit of a higher hierarchy place hierarchy thing that it's placed in sort of main squares or meaningful spots or central locations where it could be more spread around, it could be more in that uh, sort of, uh, how would I say, like exactly where people have their sort of daily surroundings. So I do think that it could be more integrated to the 
to the urban sort of structure and everyday environments rather than highlighting some uh, main squares or uh, being very static and, and kind of landmarks. So, but this is very, I mean, also here there is projects where it's sort of coming in the end and, and sometimes uh, there's too many expectations also what art can then do in let's say uh, uh, in some some areas that if we paint this wall nice then the, all the social problems will disappear and we of course <laughs> that's a bit of a uh, how do I say like a obvious claim but um, it, it happens too that it's seen as something that should heal some other more complex traumas or issues. And then if it's a static 2D, 3D item, that's really not gonna do much, I would say. Yeah, I, I, th I think you're highlighting very important points. The first one is about like, art shouldn't be only for the public squares or the main uh, squares, you know, like, because like we have an entire city and everything cannot really fit only in the city center or like in this. Of course, these spots are very important, but like what happened with the others, with the other part of the city or other areas. And also the other one with the public uh, art. I, I really believe that art can change the world. But first, we, may, we need to make sure that we have the, the, the budget. <laughs> and also like cities, not only about one element, like about so many different elements. And I, I'm very interested in hearing about you doing urban design uh, because you're not only doing art. So, so what is urban design? Can you define it for us? How big is the scale? Um, yes. Well, urban design to me, of course, it's, it's uh, many things and it's either large scale sort of aerial designs. But to me, it's more about understanding how cities uh, use public space and how we can sort of re-choreograph that. So in our practice, urban design is, is a lot about sort of looking at the street level surroundings or human scale surroundings. And I mean that that can be, of course, public squares too and so on. But of, uh, we have done projects uh, also with kind of um, new area development related planning where we've done some phasing plans of how how the public spaces could gradually or in phases become lively and how it's integrated to public art and community building so it's it's many things to me it's everything from that uh, small corner in a on a street corner to uh, courtyards to street uh, uh, infrastructure um, but yes I, I somehow think that architecture and city planning and urban design is, is very very much entwined somehow together and linked so the scale can vary a lot yeah so so you you as an urban designer you are a mix between like an architect landscape architect and also an urban planner you mean me did you say you are yeah yeah uh, I would say, um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I see myself positioning in between buildings and that's nice because uh, <laughs> one architect told me that too, that our practice is 
is uh, their practice is the buildings and these big big structures and uh, and somehow our practice is creating life in between buildings and that i i like this definition so um urban planning is um I would say it's still in a larger scale and, and with the urban design and placemaking, we can really look at this kind of smaller blocks of a city. Uh, I would say also smaller in that way that we can link to, to the, the, the place, to the people. So it's in that scale still that we know roughly who is using this space and how we can link this space to the people and integrate the people to the space. So, yeah, I would say sort of small chunks, but it's of course uh, important to understand the link to urban planning and the large scale and how people, for instance, move between these places and districts. It's super interesting. Can you give us uh, like an example of an urban design project that you work with? So to make it like extra clear for us. Yes, um, we are currently working on uh, many smaller projects with our new Parkley concept, so a modular uh, concept for placemaking and urban design. Um, and prior to that, we've done different projects that are linked to bigger urban planning uh, processes. So our urban design projects are or have been for instance, linked to a square or a certain area and a bigger area. But the interesting thing, of course, has been that how we can link the place-led development in, into, a, how would I say, like city planning development. A um, few examples of this urban design projects, um, previous projects, as we are preparing the next projects, uh, would be that we have been working with a, in a district which is sort of with a less uh, positive image in, in Eastern Helsinki and creating this placemaking and urban design project uh, in this square was a really, really great sort of uh, process for also us to test our methods to learn more about our uh, ability to create change and also how we can create participation with the people who are not so used to different participation methods, for instance. And um, how that was then linked to the city planning process was uh, in dialogue with the city planners and that was very interesting. So we could kind of bring the street level knowledge and information from the people to the planners, which understandably are not so often able to go, go and visit the site and discuss with people. And I would say that in urban design and placemaking, this when we frame some space with some physical structures to create this place for people to kind of, to have this platform, um, this is very important that there is such kind of framed, I, I, I would say framed places uh, to, to connect. So, um, yeah, so, so, so you, you work as a link between people and the planners. Yes, I would say that too. Yes, definitely. Mm. What do you see? What, what is, what is the biggest challenge 
you see in in such kind of projects? I would say the biggest challenge is uh, possibly, or there's probably many things. Uh, one of them is, of course, that uh, I see as a placemaker that this sort of processes or projects should be used way more as a tool to generate information, uh, generate local information, get people participated and, and then deliver that knowledge or information to the planners. Uh, but I don't see it used so much, at least in Finland yet. Let's see, we are working on it. Um, uh, second is, of course, the funding instruments for such things, if this would be integrated into the planning process processes that of course would be kind of a, a systematic approach to make such placemaking processes happen and uh, of course there's a lot of then once there's been a successful project or with a project with positive impact it's then uh, it's kind of i see it as a wasted opportunity that we might have funding for maybe two years and then we are not able to continue this process, which started very promisingly and had a, had a positive impact. We have to sort of close that down. Of course, people understand the value of uh, temporary projects too, but I would say that we should work way more on creating the continuation from such projects to also scale them up. Because you work with many different fields uh, within developing cities. If I ask you, like, how would you imagine? an after-COVID city? Um, yeah, it's kind of an uh, interesting question because we are sort of living in it, living in it right now. Uh, but I imagine it being more green, more livable, more uh, sort of accepting and maybe more appreciated. So I think during COVID, we really or that the pandemic sort of highlighted the importance of public space and our living surroundings. And we probably generated more, more ways to use it and uh, be more creative in it. And that was actually very interesting to observe also here in Helsinki. So I would imagine after COVID cities being more ready for change, more appreciated um, and perhaps people are paying more more attention to to their sort of very local environments and perhaps they are being more ready to act to improve those environments but I do think like in a the big vision of an after covid city would be that there is more bike lanes it's rapidly transforming by using this window, this opportunity to also address future challenges to prepare uh, for such things and also address climate crisis very strongly that they, they would sort of, um, cities would, would change more rapidly. That would be probably the bigger vision I would, would have after COVID city. Yeah, and, and, and now you, you painted a very beautiful image about like how after COVID cities will look like. Do you, do you think this will match with the reality? Like, are we really going to, to have such kind of city or, or no, we will just keep 
developing cities as how we used to. Yeah, that's a bit of a, I would say I'm a little bit afraid or worried that the opportunity is a little bit lost. Uh, on the other hand, I'm seeing great new habits people develop during COVID with their cities. Like I said, using parks, using different places more creatively and they have discovered new places altogether. So I think that I would say I'm expecting that some of these very good habits are are being held on to and people will they will become routines and people will sort of keep doing that. Um, after all, yeah, I hope it's not turning into a wasted opportunity. Um, but be, uh, it depends. I, I sort of thought that it seems that cities with uh, sort of bigger challenges like London and Paris with, let's say, air quality, they they are doing more brave moves and more drastic moves to address this. And elsewhere in Helsinki, for instance, we are in quite a good position with air quality wise, even though we also do have problems with that and specifically with green areas. So I don't see that the sort of urge, urgency to change varies city by city. And that probably affects a lot how, how are they after COVID cities? Yeah, exactly. Uh, do you, do you think like placemaking is the key to develop an after COVID city? And if yes, why 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 do you think? I would strongly say yes, and I'm uh, as a placemaker, that's probably a, a natural answer. But uh, I do think that placemaking has a huge role in in after COVID cities. First of all, it's this social interaction we've missed and can be safely done outdoors. It's our sort of platform for social interaction when, when indoor spaces have been uh, shut down. Um, also, placemaking is, is really that low, low threshold tool to change our cities. So we can start by putting a bench outside to then a large scale urban design placemaking project. So there's many levels uh, in, in the sort of actions we can do. So it makes it easy to change even smaller things. But maybe most importantly, I would say that placemaking is this tool to reimagine our cities when we can turn our local small areas, street corners, pocket parks, parklets, courtyards uh, to uh, more green, more welcoming places, we, we can really start to imagine that this change is possible in a large scale. And I do think that this is very important that when we discuss or talk about big phenomena and, and uh, environmental challenges like biodiversity loss, if we can prove that we can work with this issue uh, rewild our cities, create more uh, sort of habitat for other creatures uh, in our neighborhood, then we start to think that this is actually possible in global scale. And so the words become action and, and people can also get more empowered that they, they can actually do 
I'll be part of the change too. Yeah. And and how is it now with the placemaking movement in, in Finland and specifically in Helsinki? Do you have a community now, a, a community of placemakers? Because like usually in the Scandinavia, people like the municipality has to do the job, you know, and people paying taxes. So things are fixed from the municipality side. So maybe placemaking is not like the, the, the big movement. So how is it in Helsinki? Yes, that's an interesting point, and I totally agree that people are sort of the city structure is is not uh, so how would I say so encouraging or uh, sparking for placemaking actions. Uh, our practice is linked to uh, like we work with architect offices, uh, cities, and municipalities, uh, but not so much like sort of self-funded projects. Um, I do think that funding is, is of course, to some level uh, needed. And I think currently that funding is, is really from the kind of public sector only. But I do think that placemaking and this sort of tactical urbanism is, is gaining more ground here in, in Helsinki too. There's been great initiatives already in recent years with Restaurant Day and uh, people turning parks into flea markets and such things. So uh, this sort of actions and taking over a place uh, is certainly increasing. And I have high hopes that our young people have grown up to this culture and will then be more uh, ready to take over public space for their self-expression and purposes. Yeah. Is it easy to do a placemaking project or you need to get into this bureaucracy, like getting a permission from the police, getting permission from the traffic department? Yes, we do have uh, <laughs> such permit <laughs> permit issues too. Yes, it's, it's kind of like the always, always some box to tick when we do a project. Uh, there is a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of work towards making I mean, I can recognize that the city has been working on their processes to make this permit uh, uh, jungle way easier for people. So, for instance, for parklets, uh, they have developed a way sort of lighter permit system lately and in recent years. And that has really increased the parklet uh, productions or parklets in, in Helsinki. Um, all in all, I would say, depending on, on the location, you the the permits are fairly easy to to get for base making uh projects too and are currently working in in with parkley project in in kalasatama district and and few other places and and there it's fairly straightforward we do talk with city planners or uh traffic engineers or traffic planners and and kind of find find the right spots together. So that, of course, helps a lot that we are not just coming with our own idea and, and sort of think where, where it's placed, but more in, in collaboration with the planners. So. Exactly. This is I'm so happy to hear that the, like they have a specific permission for the parklet. Like it makes life so much easier. Yes. Yeah, I do think that uh, such things can really help uh, entrepreneurs, cafe owners, restaurant owners to to make it happen. Like if it if it just seems complicated and, and difficult and expensive in the first place, of course, that's sort of high threshold to do do things. And 
parklands are a good example of uh, kind of urban design actions that really then uh, sort of affect the whole cityscape or streetscape. So it's, it's not just uh, about the one parking spot, but it's, it's a lot about how our streets are looking once there's more and more parklets happening. Yeah, and maybe we talk about like the vision of our future cities, how we develop our cities. Can you tell us like how can we use placemaking and urban design as a way to communicate about the future? Yeah, I think this is touching on the question we, we discussed that we can sort of um, turn turn the future visions, future uh, sort of scenarios into reality in our in our surroundings and that really helps us to reimagine or sort of rethink our own attitudes to and and uh, to see this change happen is, is really for me at least it's the most empowering thing in my work to actually prove that places can change and to see that transformation or contrast to the what it was that that really is the kind of most uplifting thing to me at least so i somehow do think that uh, we share this as citizens humans the same thing that when we start believing when we see it and what kind of future visions we could create in in um in our cities that can be as experimental as ever to something more traditional like uh, having an urban farm to uh, kind of rethink our traffic or or so so i think there's also the inspiring thing is that uh the scale is scale of these future visions are are vast and we can sort of um play 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 a little game in our minds what sort of elements we would like to see in our cities and try it in, in small scale and and start thinking how do we get to this future vision the the the, the journey yes exactly the <laughs> it starts now yes. today yes i would say mm. yeah i'm very happy to talk to you and i see like time uh, flies and now we are in the final section of this episode we have five questions and they will be more personal so let's start with the first one if you will be an animal which animal will you choose and why um i thought i make a little joke here so (laughs) 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 i would like to be a pigeon because pigeons pigeons love urban life they're just observing it and kind of getting (laughs) getting the best out of it you know like perfect uh, eye level to the users and explore the city and the best cafes and terraces yeah you know like i love pigeons because like they're you know like they're with us in the metro stations and the cafes exactly. and the public squares like they're just like people yes exactly so we kind of we should maybe look how pigeons are <laughs> using places <laughs> and learn from them they're always in crowds they're having a good time and sort of friendly you know they approach others exactly and they are not really afraid like when you walk next to them they are like used to yes. being between people and in the city exactly. with cars with metros yeah. and <laughs> yeah. 
very okay this is what very very interesting anymore so <laughs> so maybe you should start to map uh, pigeons movement and activities in the city no? exactly and of course i mean they are doves maybe pigeons uh, fine cousin they used to deliver messages so yeah we could maybe yeah. have not drones but uh, pigeons flying around with <laughs> <laughs> super interesting by the way so what what are your hobbies do you have time to 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 do mm. something else than place making urban design public art i would say uh, quite little but of course i have children and we are uh, sort of Work is very much integrated to daily life too, but um, I do have some hobbies. Dancing is one of them. Now that uh, soon we can open stand dance studios again, I will be there. Uh, but of, uh, we also are, uh, we have a little countryside place. And I have to say that as a person who works with urban environments and public space, this countryside place is maybe the only one I can get away from work work issues and and have a different mindset so we are we are there often in the summer renovating and gardening and and all that that's quite a fun and i do like the sort of rural environments too the sense of community there is something we could also learn from in cities it's very it's uh, much more stronger than what we have in cities yes, right it's very very helpful and sort of down to earth you can always ask people for help and and kind of there's the sort of a nice, nice community events also in the smallest villages, and that's that's really nice to see. Ah, that's that's very interesting. So, if you have three wishes, what will you wish? Oh, this I have to have a little thing. You can <laughs> you, you you cannot say I I wish to be a pigeon. This is like. <laughs> well, I I would wish that. Uh, People, cities would really then, yes, use this opportunity of COVID. It's been also a crisis and a tragic event for many globally. So what's, what can we learn from the crisis and what can we turn, sort of use this as a gateway to turn some, some of the effects into positive ones? That's kind of generic, but a big, big wish. Two more. Ah, um, wish would be that uh, I'd say I I have to go back a bit to the morning when I had a workshop in um, in a daycare yard, part of our project, and there the how to say the manager of the daycare, she was uh, we had a good discussion about planning and and she was very sorry or she had had negative experience of this sort of participatory planning how many of the staff the users had been participating in the planning process of a new daycare and its surroundings and somehow during this process all the user ideas and wishes were somehow faded and the I have to say, as a designer and planner, that is uh, somehow very unfortunate that such opportunities are missed. So, uh, second wish would be how how can we bring this uh, user aspect more in in everything we do as designers and planners? You have the third one, or should we move to the next question? 
I can have a quick, a quick third one. <laughs> that uh, children and young people would be more visible in cities outside the playgrounds too. So we could bring more playfulness in our cities. Yeah, of course. This is like this is uh, our mission, you know. Like, or let's let's talk about myself. Like, this is my mission is to turn this wish to to a reality. Very very interesting wishes. And now we move to the pre last question, and it's about you. Give us the listeners three takeaway messages. Takeaway messages. Hmm. Uh, one thing it was that. Um, yeah, this is based on my personal experience that. Takeaway message is that uh, accessibility and mobility, and that's interesting. That mobility is also about having uh, the ability or chance to stop, to sit down, and relax in public space. And I give you a reason for that. Uh, I had a terrible back conditions just two two years ago. I had a surgery, and prior to that, walking was very very painful for me. And I was just uh, walking in cities downtown Helsinki too, and I was just looking for benches, and <laughs> and I wouldn't find them when I needed. So, and a similar experience uh, to the same subject. I had a workshop in a smaller city, and the municipality's physiotherapist was saying that elderly are not uh, walking down the streets anymore in this sort of. Uh, used to be livable shopping streets because the benches are taken away and for them it's very scary to go for a walk if you don't know where you can actually rest down so mobility is also about seating <laughs> um, second takeaway message would be that yeah I would say that let's reimagine our cities and accept new uh, aesthetics, new forms of aesthetics. So when we look at uh, public spaces, youngsters uh, using public space, kind of not within the rules, uh, or or when we are looking at uh, our urban nature that uh, and, and the rewilding. So we can get used to this new aesthetics of uh, wild grass and meadows instead of the kind of short cut grass and so on so let's adapt to new aesthetics of cities and and sort of let it uh sprout and kind of get wilder <laughs> so less of control i would say and i guess third could be that uh i would say to the listeners to maybe next time they go outside and to observe who's really there and who's missing that our public spaces are often or can be dictated by uh, by certain groups of people and i guess this leads to youngsters children elderly but this can really uh, create some spark some ideas in in uh, placemakers heads when we look at the city public space and uh, see not only who's there but who is not there yeah yeah this is like very very important point actually that we need to pay attention to not only focusing on like who are there and observing like but who is missing and why yeah yes definitely and this will be the last question 
and it's not going to be asking you. It will be you asking us, the listeners. What is your question for us? I'd say it relates to today's theme. We've covered the COVID city uh, aspect a lot. So my question to the listeners would be, what sort of changes did you make during COVID-19 in terms of using your city, the public space? And what change would you like to keep as a routine or new new way after COVID city too? So it's it's a, a question to reflect about what we did and what we would love to keep doing and not doing. Yes. Again, thank you so much. I'm really happy to talk to you. Thank you so much for inspiring me. And hopefully see you maybe in Stockholm, maybe in Helsinki. Anyway, we are close. Yes, we are close. I'm sure we'll meet sometime soon. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for listening to Urbanistica podcast. I hope you really enjoyed this episode. You learned something new and also got inspired by the guest. Don't forget to share the episode on your social media and recommend it to people you think they are really interested in this topic. Thank you so much again for giving your valuable time to Urbanistica podcast. I am Mustafa Sharif. Keep up the good work. Keep loving cities.